2: Like in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors, or you're going to Europe.
1: He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly.
2: Now the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody. Except City. I am your host Joe Ucello. Sir Bob Mike Orr my co-host Rob Rojas. My trusted co host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 356 of Low Limit Football on this 8th of May, 2022. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight our cup finals in Europe are set. In the Champions League, Liverpool and Real Madrid will face off on the 28th in Paris. In the Europa League, Eintracht Frankfurt and Rangers on the 18th in Sevilla. And the Con- the, uh, the Conference League Roma and Fire Nord will face off on the 25th in Tirana, Albania. Can Jose Mourinho be the first manager to win the Champions League, Europa League? And the new Conference League. The Seattle Sounders make history by defeating Pumas 3 0 to win the CONCACAF Champions League, the first MLS team to do it in 20 years. We're going to discuss the ramifications of that historic win. And drama persists in the city of Manchester. We're going to discuss both the red and blue sides with our very special guest, Simon Baikowski from the Manchester Evening News, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you, my man?
1: I'm good, Joe. I'm good, obviously. We're heading into, obviously, a new month, uh, the first show of the month, and championships are getting decided. We're going to see um, European competitions be settled, but I think here we could be happy with what we saw stateside in terms of a continental championship.
2: Absolutely, we're going to jump into that in just a bit. Um, I know that you and I have been talking just quickly uh, about Italy. It's amazing that at the end of the day today, none of the, none of the relegation or uh, the champion will be decided. And we actually run into a scenario where we could be talking match day 38 with nothing decided yet. Isn't it? It's just, it's bananas. Um, I think we saw that the, the EPL finally get wrapped up today. I think that is a done deal with the, with the final victory for Manchester city and Liverpool, obviously dropping points. You know, so I, I think that's, that's done and dusted. Uh, and, and you and I have stuck to our guns with that one. Obviously Spain, France and Germany have already been mathematically decided. But Italy is just—it's one of these, one of these exciting finishes. It reminds me a little bit of the finish uh, from the Bundesliga a few few years ago. Do you remember that, where we had like yes. seven or eight matches that we were just all glued to because they all had ramifications on the last day? Um, and I feel like we're possibly headed to that uh, in Italy coming up uh, in a couple of weeks, so we'll have to keep an eye on that, my friend. Uh, it's trivia time, and I have the honor of the trivia question for you. So if you're ready, I will give it to you. Let's do it. All right, and this comes from Opto Paola, uh, from the uh, you know famous Opta uh, folks, uh, and this uh, is in regards to goal scores. Berat Dimshidi of Atalanta became the twentieth different goal scorer for Atalanta in the Serie A this season. Twenty different goal scores is only the second uh, most goal scores in the top five leagues of Europe. Can you name the team that has the most goal scorers other than of Atalanta? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, it was. There's only one team that has had more different players that have scored uh, than Atalanta, and you'll have to give that to me at the end of the show. All right. All right. Let's uh, let's jump into opening thoughts, my friend. And the opening thoughts, we're going to actually come stateside and focus on MLS uh, with the Seattle Sounders with a three nil victory in the CONCACAF Champions League final second leg five two aggregate overall over Pumas to bring home this title to MLS for the first time in 20 years. There has been a lot of discussion of the possible combination of Liga MX and MLS, and this is probably something we should maybe get John Arnold to come on in a couple of weeks and talk about. But uh, Seattle, even though they are underperforming in, the, um, in, in MLS currently, I want to say they are third from the—and I'm calling it up right now—they're third from the bottom, I believe— in uh, MLS, uh, I'll give that to you in a moment. Here, they are, yeah, uh, second from the bottom. They're currently 13th in the Western Conference. Have only won two matches so far on the season. They managed to uh, be dominant in a record-setting crowd in in Seattle to pick up the second leg uh, and 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 bring home this Champions League final for the first time since 2002 for MLS, um, a, a competition that has been absolutely dominated by Liga MX sides. I'd like your opinion on on the victory. I'd like your opinion on what this possibly means for uh, MLS moving forward, as well as maybe the the outside rumors that there is a possible combination of Liga MX and MLS going on.
1: Well, it changes everything. I mean, obviously, this was something that I think a lot of MLS teams wanted and, Mm -hmm. you know, I think was something that was kind of an obsession. And now it happened, you know, the fact that we saw this kind of thing occurred to an MLS team and probably the most organized one in the Seattle Sounders, uh, a team that has been always successful in MLS for the last decade or so. I think they've had, what, two MLS Cups, a few U.S. Open Cups, and a supporter shield. And so, therefore, I just feel as if, though, we're seeing now this this kind of progress being made. Is it closing the gap with the Mexicans? I don't know. That's the big question because... Mm -hmm. We have seen all this dominance being made by Mexican teams. We don't know if this is just one, you know, small thing that's just going to happen every so often, or if this is going to come into a consistent manner I think what's really been impressive as well has, you know, the fact that we've been seeing teams um, that I think need to make more of these competitions, and we mm-hmm. saw that with the likes of. A, of a Toronto FC, a Montreal Impact, an LA FC. They've all made uh, CONCACAF Champions League finals in the last seven years. Obviously, Seattle with this being the new team. But it's going to be interesting to see, especially if this partnership goes along, because I think you see that kind of gap now trying to finally close. Don't you feel like, Joe, it would be kind of a bit pointless to see that, especially now that... We're seeing
2: these MLS teams now beating the Mexicans at their own game. Yeah, I mean, I think this is this, you know, starts to level the playing field. And I know that Don Garber had said that he wanted uh, MLS to be, you know, on par with the European leagues. And you know, I think within the, within the next four or five years. Uh, and, and you know, that's not going to happen. It's just the money is not there. They're, they're spending more money on buying uh, teams and buying franchises to come into MLS than they really are spending on players. They're not going to compete with the European clubs to sign people like Erling Holland or anything like that. So I think that's water under the bridge. But I think the that they start to move themselves onto level playing field. With uh with Liga MX is is a massive massive thing. It's it's more important when you're when you continent first, and then I think from here, MLS really needs to focus on you know can we do, uh, can we compete against the Boca Juniors of the world? Can we compete against River Plate and Palmeiras and 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 maybe go down and and be, you know, combined into a Copa Libertadores like like we had in years past, uh, where 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 we, where we can you know possibly compete there. I think that's probably the next evolution of mls and the competitiveness of north american teams in general versus south american teams for me and i want your opinion on this because it's a competition we keep kind of a close eye on but not too too much and that's the club world cup uh now you've got an opportunity for an mls side to go there what are your expectations knowing that on the other side of that competition you're going to have if i remember correctly correctly again um. Although I don't know, actually, strike that. I might. I don't think the Libertadores has been decided. No, no, um, no. no, no. Decided, but yeah. you're going to have Liverpool or Real Madrid. Uh, that's that's in stone. Uh, you know, you're you're going to have some decent teams there. What what are your expectations of Seattle going into that competition? Yeah, I think um,
1: it's it's interesting because I think this is really the measuring point. Now, obviously, I think the Mexicans are also in a more Similar situation where they're out there to compete with the best of the world to be mm. to play against the likes of a of a Brazil Sorry of, of a South American team or a European seed, and to demonstrate that so now for the United States. This is This is uncharted territory mm. um, for These guys, you know, they don't know what it's like They don't know what it's like to be considered the best of a continent and now they have that spotlight on them and now the expectations are significantly raised um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a chance to prove. I mean, obviously they have to demonstrate that in the games that they play. I mean they, they have to play other continental champions and then take on the likes of a South America or a, or a European team. and then just go from there and, and build that kind of momentum heading into future competitions. And yeah, it's it's hard to compete with these European teams because of the significant financial gain. Even for the South Americans who even want to beat the Europeans at the best of their game, and they haven't done that because of this huge financial gap. I mean, it's been ten years since a non-European team won a won a Club World Cup, which obviously is a South American. So, right. if it's just as hard for the South Americans to try to match up to this level, how
2: imagine how hard
1: it will be for the. The Concacaf teams.
2: Sure. Now, I want to ask you: Do you feel that there will be naysayers? There'll be the you know negative people that will say, "Well, you know, this victory for Seattle is not a big deal because Pumas have not been having the greatest of seasons. They finished eleventh in the Clausura in Liga MX. They currently have to face sixth place Chivas uh, to to move on in the playoffs there. So this is not quite the quote unquote best that Mexico or Liga MX could have." Could have given us do you do you buy into that at all or absolutely not okay. no one should i, I agree on.
1: you're the best in your continent you won those games to to be the best in your continent yeah. you take in that different mentality playing in a competition like this No, of course it matters
2: yeah i mean i i agree with you i you know you've to get to this point you have to have earned it this is not a, a spot and, and i don't care what competition whether we're talking libertadores sudamericana the champions league the conference league it doesn't matter when you've won the 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 amount of games and you've won the games that have gotten you to a final you've earned that right so i i, I completely with you um last thing i want to look at because obviously the seattle to win this match three nil uh really started uh this match under duress. Obviously. They get the late goal in uh in Mexico City to come back tied two two. So and and goal uh, road goals didn't count. So at this point, it was level playing field for ninety minutes, and immediately, uh, Seattle Sounders lose Tolo and uh, Paulo George to uh to to injury within the first thirty minutes, and had to make substitutions right off the bat. Also using two windows, you know, so they only had one more window to make any substitutions. Um, do you give Seattle maybe a little more credit for having overcome the adversity of getting that tying goal in Mexico, as well as the adversity of overcoming injuries to, to start this, the first half of this match and, and score three goals?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think when you're playing in these kind of circumstances, you have to take every advantage that you can. And clearly Seattle did that. Mm-hmm. So you need to take all those things into consideration, not just because, fighting history in this sense and trying to beat that adversity that was always given to multiple MLS teams who came into the situation. Um, No, I think you have to give credit when credit's due. And so we just have to really congratulate um, Seattle for doing this.
2: No doubt. Um, You know, and obviously the the goal scorers, Raul Ruiz Diaz with, with two goals in this one, Uh, Nico Lodero with a goal and an assist as well in this one. So just fantastic performances from those guys. And uh, congratulations to the people of Seattle, uh, especially for turning out and setting the record for the largest crowd ever for a, for a CONCACAF Champions League match, uh, let alone a final. Um, it was great support. It was great to watch and certainly a well-deserved victory. So let's table our discussion of the CONCACAF Champions League and move back over to Europe. We saw an incredible, incredible uh, comeback for Real Madrid over Manchester City in the semifinals of the of the uh, Champions League in Europe this uh, this week, moving Real Madrid on uh, despite uh, you know Manchester City side which many would regard as the best team in the world, um, but again Real Madrid really overcame quite a bit to to go into extra time and then go ahead and win this match. Uh, it was certainly I was driving when I was listening to the match and to listen to it was just incredible. I know you were watching. But what does this mean for Manchester City? At the same time, we've got rumors of Manchester United. We've got more drama going on. A team that's been eliminated from even making it to the Champions League next season. There is a lot of questions since we last had Phil Brown on a couple of weeks ago. So we were lucky enough to get Simon Baikowski from the Manchester Evening News to come on tonight. And join us to talk both the red and blue side of Manchester, England. So without further ado, the Simon Bakowski interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from the Manchester Evening News, Simon Baikowski. Simon, welcome back to the show. It's been quite a while since we've had you on and we're glad to have you back. There has been a ton of information or news coming out of manchester on both the red and blue side i want to open with the blue side because just breaking within the past hour or so uh we heard pep guardiola state that kyle walker john stones and ruben diaz all three are ruled out for the rest of the season for manchester city now given that they have a a three-point uh window that they're open to running to the end of the uh season we also see them facing wolves west ham and aston villa really a a manageable schedule for them does the injury woes especially on the back line like that uh, worry you or worry Manchester City fans
0: it it will worry Manchester City um, as if the Champions League defeat to Real Madrid was not heartbreaking enough Uh, they rushed John Stones back from injury for it he's out for the rest of the season they rushed Kyle Walker back he's out they obviously brought Ruben Diaz back with the the concern that if he got injured again, he would be out for the rest of the season. And that has happened um, with the the Premier League win over Newcastle. So it's kind of a myth that Man City have a big squad. Um, They have a squad that's deep with quality players, um, but not necessarily deep with bodies because that's not the way that Pep Guardiola likes to play. And certainly in defence, it's nowhere near like they have two players for for every position. Um, So to be missing Kyle Walker, John Stones and Ruben Diaz, you're missing a lot of quality, but you're also talking about uh, just bodies. Like Nathan Ake wasn't fit to come on, fully fit to come on against Newcastle. So 37-year-old midfielder Fernandinho played there. Um, So that is a question for Wolves and ahead. Um, You've got uh, Zinchenko and Cancelo on fullback if they stay fit, but then you've got nobody else other than the Academy kids. So um they they will really hope that nobody else gets injured because like you say it is a manageable schedule. It's three games in in two weeks. But after the sort of the positivity for them at the end of a tough week from from seeing Liverpool drop points and from them beating Newcastle and beating Newcastle well, um it is yeah, City are not exactly motoring towards the, the finishing line. They're sort of getting there any way they can. Now, Simon, obviously looking at how
1: City have been able to do this, you have to look at the great debt that they had. And obviously, I think one of the players, or at least for a lot of people, thought had a lot of high hopes for coming into the season was obviously the likes of Jack Grealish, so obviously the most expensive English player ever, came in for like a hundred million pounds and I think obviously we saw his impact of what he did at Aston Villa. Uh, obviously, he was a vital player for, for England in the Euros as well when they made it all the way to the finals. But I think this season we didn't see the best of Jack Grealish. I mean, I just wanted your assessment on how you viewed his season. You know, what do you feel went wrong for him, and you know, if indeed this can indeed be recovered heading into next season.
0: Yeah, it's been a difficult season for, for Jack. He came in and he started a lot of games. Um and sort of most players when they come into a Guardiola team, they're kind of given time to adapt. And Grealish didn't have it because so many of his teammates had been at the Euros and were were sort of had no energy from that. So Grealish started a lot and then um he, he struggled to to adapt to exactly what is asked of him in the city team. Um, I don't think he's alone in that. Riyadh Mare struggled in his first season, Bernardo Silva struggled in his first season, and they have gone on to do to do very well. Um, you speak to people uh within City, they have no issues at all with Grealish on the training pitch, um, his quality within the squad, and there is a strong belief there that um he will go on to prove himself and to prove that hundred million pounds. Uh, price tag, but from the from the outside looking at it objectively, he he's not come close to doing that um, this year. They for for a while now they've wanted him to be more more greedy in in the final third. Obviously, he was the main man at Aston Villa. He was the, their talisman that would do everything. Um, and at City, it's more systems based and uh, a, a collective effort. But there is still the need for that individual. Flair. And I think Grealish has possibly gone too far the other way in trying to fit into the team um, and, you know, make those those short passes um, that everyone requires. Um, and he's sort of strayed a bit too far from his, his natural individual game.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens heading into next season as I wanted to switch gears on possibly a potential player that could indeed join Manchester City next season. I mean, obviously, all reports lead to the likes of Erling Haaland heading to Manchester City from Borussia Dortmund. I mean, obviously nothing's been official at the moment, but given from what you've heard, um, how close of a deal is this? And, you know, even then, how big of a move would this be for Man City and for
0: Erling Haaland to make? Yeah, I, I would be surprised if Haaland is not at Man City next season. Um, obviously, like you say, nothing is official, but um, there was there was dialogue um, last year, um, last year, spring of 2021 uh, when it looked like Dortmund might not qualify for for the Champions League for this season uh, and then obviously they, they did and that interest got shelved but it didn't go away and obviously Haaland again this season has shown that he is one of the most exciting talents in in world football so you know Man City have been burned before on on transfers where they thought they've they've got it over the line and they haven't um but from from everything i hear i would kind of expect Haaland to be to be a Man City player uh, next season, and and that is is huge because you know their squad has been built on buying players who are not necessarily the most established players. Players like you say Bernardo Silva and Yaya at the port who will have a, a a very promising reputation in the game, but are not seen as top tier when they come into Man City. Man City hadn't haven't really had competition from clubs for a lot of the players they've bought you know nobody was trying to buy Kevin De Bruyne when they signed him um but Haaland is different Haaland has been wanted by Real Madrid Barcelona Man United every team you could think of wants Haaland and has wanted Haaland and for obvious reasons so it it would be huge for Man City in terms of getting the goal scorer that they've wanted since Sergio Aguero left but it would also kind of further elevate them in in European and world football to get a player of his calibre and standing.
1: Absolutely. And also another promising player that will be joining Manchester City will be Julian Averest from River Plate. Now, heading into this transfer, obviously this was made a couple months before, um, do you feel that maybe his stance, I mean, obviously nothing's official as to when he'll join the club, but do you feel that with Haaland coming in, would that mean it'd be more difficult for Alvarez to settle in, or do you feel that there is a way for Guardiola to have them both work together
0: in the next season? I think there's definitely um, a place for Alvarez if he earns it. Um, the The plan is for him to to join Man City for for preseason when they'll be in Manchester, and then they're they're heading to the US um, for a week, and it, it is for for Alvarez the situation is is pretty much for for every incoming player if he can show that he can offer the, the first team something and he deserves to be in the first team then then Guardiola will have him in because you know a, another kind of myth that gets associated with Guardiola is that he doesn't like strikers he absolutely loves them he would love nothing more than a striker that can you know bang in a hat trick every game because it makes him look a genius and it makes the game really easy because they, they win all the time. So, you know, Alvarez will be under no illusion that, that Erling Haaland is coming to be the main man. Uh, but you never know in football and you have to take your opportunities when they come. And if Alvarez takes his opportunity uh, in pre-season, then there's every chance that he'll stay with, with the squad um, for the rest of the season. And and they don't have any other number nines. So, you know, there's a good chance he'd get, he'd get game time.
1: Now, one number nine that at least has been on the rumor mill so far and also has been performing well for Manchester City in recent matches is Gabriel Jesus. Obviously, this is a Gabriel Jesus who has one more year left on his contract, uh, was linked to the likes of Arsenal, and it's interesting to see that he's been getting on form right when those links come about. So I'm here to ask you, Simon, do you feel as if though maybe City will possibly do a U-turn on this and indeed try to keep him at the club, or do you feel that with everything going on, especially with the likes of an Haaland and an Alvarez coming in, that the future of Jesus at Manchester City seems very bleak.
0: Yeah, I think Jesus is a player who will be available for the right price. Um, I, Juventus and a few other clubs have have shown interest in, in him before, and you know he, he's shown what he can do on the big stage. Um, his goal record hasn't quite... Um, been enough at City but it's still very good um, and all the other things he brings to to his game um, certainly make him an asset. City have uh, Jesus, they have Raheem Sterling and they have Riyad Mahrez um, three forwards who are all out of contract in 2023 so decisions will have to be made on them this summer because they won't want to, to sell them for to let them leave on a free transfer uh, next summer. So, like you say, if well, Alvarez is is coming at least in pre season, and then Haaland comes in, you, you've not got room for for everyone. So City will look to to um, move on uh, at least one. I would have thought, and Jesus is is the prime candidate. Uh, I think he's not been as established as as Sterling and Maris in the team, um, and has got suitors who would. Who would want to buy him, but it will come down to price. And you know, City have been very firm in the transfer market. Chiki Begeirison has got a reputation for, for not sort of wavering from his valuation of players. Um, and just because players are available on the market in the City squad does not mean they will be sort of given away.
2: Now Simon I want to jump in here because I'm glad you mentioned my Juventus because I want to focus on another quote unquote Juventus target in Paul Pogba because uh rumors started as early as this morning from what I've seen that Paul Pogba might be also headed to Manchester City what uh what can you tell us about that move
0: Yeah I mean it's um it it would be wild if it happened um hmm. I think you know it's it's been obvious for for some time now that that Paul Pogba has not been happy at Manchester United. They've not got the best out of him and they don't look like a side that will win trophies um, anytime, anytime soon. So Pogba has been looking for, for a way out. Um, I don't think Manchester City would be favourites to sign him. Um, but at the same time, they are, you know, they're open to signing a midfielder this summer. And if you could get a player as good as Paul Pogba and I, and I think, You know, he is seen as a world-class midfielder. Mm. Um, I think he's been really let down by the chronic mismanagement at Manchester. Um, So, you know, if you could get a player of of his quality for free, the the wages financial package would be substantial. But for free, um, that is, you know, something that you would at least consider. In the same way that you know they considered uh, Cristiano Ronaldo from Juventus mm. last summer for um, for a small fee when when the plans to sign Harry Kane fell through. So you know I I, I don't think Paul Pogba will end up at Man City uh, eventually. I think Juventus could well uh, be an option. He certainly loved his time in in, in Turin, but um, you know City would be would be silly not to consider the possibility of of signing him, especially on a free transfer.
2: And as a Juve follower, I can tell you that Juve really do need the help in the midfield, so he would be a welcome addition for sure. Um, I want to I focus on Manchester United for a minute here because uh, we were lucky enough to a couple weeks ago to have uh, Phil Brown uh, from beyond the pitch with us, and we, we went into depth on Manchester United. Since mm-hmm. then, things have gone even more sour than they were before, especially with the 4-0 loss to Brighton on the weekend. Uh, United currently are mathematically eliminated from going to the Champions League uh, next season. And if they don't watch themselves, they're actually in danger of falling into either the Conference League or even out of Europe in general. What does this mean for, you know, the incoming Eric Ten Hag, uh, as well as Cristiano Ronaldo, who is, you know, customarily used to playing in the Champions League year in and year out? What does that mean for him? Do they do they see as uh, the the Cristiano Ronaldo move as a failure or or is it something they're going to stick with with the next couple
0: of seasons? It, well, it, it's hard to know where the power lies between Cristiano Ronaldo and Manchester United because, you know, he he, he, is, he has been one of their best players this season um, and he scored so many goals for them and sort of single-handedly drags them through the Champions League uh, group stage. And yet on the same side, um, you know, there is that nagging question of, would they be better building off a team building a team kind of without him because of the, the limitations that he has. And certainly when he was linked with, or when Man City were interested in him last summer, that was the big existential question of how would uh, Ronaldo fit in a Pep Guardiola team. Someone like Eric Ten Hag coming in is, you know, has has got this job to build a young progressive team. And where does Cristiano Ronaldo fit into that? Uh, there's no question that Ronaldo is is unhappy with, with his season as every other manchester united player should be if they're not because you know they they should have challenged for for the title they mm. they have a good enough squad to be up there with at least chelsea if not man city and liverpool and they've been so far off the pace um so so it, it, it's a real mess um and you know cristiano ronaldo is in you know the final years of his career and has to weigh up what option is best for him and then Eric Ten Hag is coming in and has to work out if if his um you know version of, of how he sees Ronaldo is how Ronaldo sees his time at United. So it it's it's one of the the major, major problems um for for Eric Ten Haag coming in. Um but then at the same time there are so many problems that go beyond Cristiano Ronaldo and Eric Ten Hag um that the Ronaldo issue Maybe maybe small in the grand scheme of things.
2: Very, very true. Uh, I want to focus with our last question. Again, thank you for giving us so much time today. Uh, I want to go back to the blue side of Manchester, and I want to look at Manchester City. Obviously, being knocked out of the Champions League in dramatic fashion to Real Madrid, a, a, a Real Madrid that really, and I've said it here on the show earlier uh, previously, that they kind of had the Champions League in their DNA. They, they're they just a club that just seems to know how to win this competition um, proof positive over the last 30 years what we've seen them do and, and and proof again that, you know, taking Manchester City in stoppage time to beating them and then extra time, uh, you know, as well. Uh, reflecting back on City, you look at Pep Guardiola and most refer to him or, or regard him as one of the best managers in football, as do I but he has not won this competition since his days at Barcelona. Uh, Wasn't able to do it at Bayern Munich and still hasn't been able to get across that finish line in Manchester. Um, Does this tarnish the image of Pep Guardiola, especially in ownership's eyes that maybe uh, his time is running short at Manchester city.
0: I I think he will stay at Manchester city for as long as he wants to stay at Manchester city. The the owners are so happy with him. Um, And you know, his, his contract is, until 2023, but uh, Jurgen Klopp has extended recently at Liverpool. Mikel Arteta has extended. Um, you know the the signs are there that that Pep Guardiola could could extend at Man City. Um, he, he's rarely looked happier in the job, felt happier in the job, and and he told us on on Friday that um, you know the, the 2019 Champions League. Defeat to Tottenham when uh, when they they got knocked out in the final minute that has that has spurred him on as, and is why he still wants to be in the chair managing. Um, so if he's still managing because of something that happened in 2019, then how long is he going to manage because of that Real Madrid exit this week? Um, in terms of his his reputation, I think from the outside, yes, is there will still be questions of him uh, until he wins another Champions League, he's not won a Champions League without Lionel Messi for instance um, and you know the in the same way that there is the Messi-Ronaldo debate, there is the, the Guardiola-Mourinho debate or Guardiola with others and um, yeah, I, I think it is something that it, it nags away at the record even if it doesn't nag away as much at the person um, I, I mean don't get me wrong, Guardiola w- would love to win the Champions League but I think uh, there was satisfaction this year from the sense that most big things went went right. Um, you know, in the past, Guardiola's made really sort of problematic errors in in his Champions League selections that that have sort of caused the team to be eliminated. Whereas whereas this year he, he did very little wrong. It's just like you say, it's Real Madrid. Madrid DNA. Nobody saw it coming. It was just, um, you know, over before before anyone knew anything about it, really. But the way they played over those two legs, yet yeah, they didn't score as many goals as they could. But Erling Haaland would would fix that in an instance. Um, so Guardiola will keep going to win this Champions League. And uh, and if City are there every year knocking on the door, then then luck would say that um, it will have to go in their favour soon.
2: Yeah, you know, and I and I reflect back on City over the season, and one the one thing they've really missed is that true number nine. Uh, they almost acquired it last summer in Harry Kane, but they weren't able to get that deal done. And I really feel like Erling Holland coming in and giving City that true number nine. Given the talents uh, of this side, they for me they would be the the favorite not only for the the Premier League. But also for the Champions League going into this, and also, you know, looking looking back at Pep Guardiola, I think that if City were to part ways with with Guardiola, which I don't mm-hmm. think will happen, there would be dozens of clubs queuing up to to throw boatloads of money at uh, at Pep Guardiola to to come and manage their side. So um, it is going to be an interesting summer, both for United and City going into the uh, going into the summer, especially going into the World Cup season. And uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. So, Simon, again, thank you for joining us on the show. I'm glad we finally got our vacation schedules, our holiday <laughs> schedules to match up. And uh, and I, we hope to have you back again very soon, my friend.
0: No, thanks for having me.
2: And special thanks again to Simon Bykowski for joining us on the show. Roberto, we've got some great, great matches coming up this week. I wanted to start, actually, I'm going to give you some matches of the week uh, coming up that are Cup-based. We never really talk about the Cups much, but I think we should probably give them to you because they're all going to be winding down here in a bit. Uh, currently, our results. Uh, Nantes with a 1-0 victory on the weekend over Nice to take the uh, the Coupe de France, um, which is uh, interesting. Obviously, no PSG there in that one. But uh, Nantes, the upset winner in the Coupe de France, as well as Spain we talked about a couple weeks ago with Batiste 2-1 over Valencia. Uh, to win the Copa del Rey and uh, another big uh, upset there as well. England this week will give us the FA Cup final, Liverpool-Chelsea. That'll be Saturday at 11.45 a.m. In Italy, midweek, we're going to get Inter and Juve, a third meeting of the Derby d'Italia, At Wednesday at 3 p.m. to decide the Coppa Italia and the Pokal will actually not be up for a couple of weeks. Uh, On May 21st, we'll see Freiburg and RB Leipzig face off for the final in that one to decide the Pokal as well. So that's your cup competitions coming up. But on the weekend, let's talk about the matches coming up this week. We have Leverkusen and Freiburg starting out in the Bundesliga on Saturday at 930 we also have at three. I'm sorry, at ten. Um, at three p.m. Sorry about that. Three p.m. We have in France, Marseille and Rennes battling out for European positions at three p.m. The LA Galaxy will face off uh, against FC Dallas at ten thirty p.m. on Saturday. That is a matchup of two top Western Conference teams. And then on Sunday, we will open with Spurs and Burnley with both Europe and relegation implications in that one in the EPL. That will be at 7 a.m. We have Atleti and Sevilla at 12.30 p.m. in Spain. And then we're going to close out the week with the big one, Juve Lazio at 2.45 p.m. in Italy. And again, there are plenty of relegation and title matches to watch in Italy. We're going to possibly have... An Italian guest coming on next week to discuss those things. So, without further ado, my friend, I have the um, the trivia question, and I'd like to give it back to you again for the listeners, if you don't mind. Go for it. All right. So, Bernat Dimshidi of Atalanta became the 20th different goal scorer for Atalanta in the Serie A this season. 20 different goal scorers though is only second to a team that has scored tw- that has had 22 different goal scorers in their league this season. Can you tell me the team? that has had the most different goal scorers in the top five leagues this season.
1: Oh man. So it's going to have to be a team that scored a lot of goals this season. And I'm trying to think of like many of those teams that have done it. I think obviously the big names are there. Mm -hmm. I'm
2: not confident about this. I'm going to have to say Manchester city. It is not Manchester city. Uh, This team in their league has scored 65 goals and they currently, list, they currently sit second in their league. Okay. Uh, That's the only hint I'm giving you. It's not Liverpool. Uh, I don't know. I, Barcelona? Barcelona's had 22 uh, different goal scorers in La Liga this season. They crazy. are the team with the highest amount of different goal scorers in league this year. So uh I, I think my uh my hints help you there. I, there you I'm go. I'm open. So all right my friend without any further ado let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right here we go. So, for episode 356 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Simon Baikowski for joining us on the show. Next week, we're going to look at the league races uh, as well as relegation races, possibly with a focus on Italy as nothing has been decided there as of yet. So, for episode 356 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Roto Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.